several hours ago this morning, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the country of Egypt got up to worship to celebrate Palm Sunday, just as you and I got up this morning excited to be in God's house with God's people. And when they um, entered their house of worship and began to worship, there were bombs that were planted uh, by ISIS terrorists. And in several churches, dozens upon dozens of Christians lost their lives this morning. If you were given the opportunity, if you knew one of these believers somehow, one that survived, and they had lost friends and family members and loved ones in those explosions, to violent and hateful men, and you had consoled them and told them you were sorry and that you were praying for them and, and grieving with them, if they came back to you in a couple of weeks from now, and they said, what should I do? What would you tell them to do? To deal with the pain and suffering and loss that we could not imagine. We could not fathom coming into this place this morning and experiencing what those brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt are experiencing right now, those who survived. Would you tell them to forgive? Or would that seem trite to you? If they said, I really want to know, what should I do? When someone has harmed me in a way that I just can't even imagine getting over, what should I do? The parable that Jesus tells that we're going to read today Gives a lot of, sheds a lot of light on this. I want to ask you to uh, take your Bibles and stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and they've talked about how do you deal with someone who sins against you? And that brings up a question in Simon Peter's mind. Verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter, by the way, believes he's being rather generous to say, I'd forgive someone who hurt me seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his servants up to date, his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you would teach us, you would show us the way of forgiveness, why it matters, how important it is in our lives. We pray that this would change our lives as your word and your spirit touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I think for most of us, when it comes to the uh, NCAA men's basketball tournament this year, uh, we, we really weren't so interested in the men's tournament as we were the women's. It's kind of like, eh, the men's, you know, it's those other teams we don't know. But we, a lot of us got excited about, uh, about Mississippi State and the run they made, but uh, there was some uh, interesting stuff in the men's tournament. Uh, Gonzaga, who had never made it, uh, they'd been in the tournament for years and they'd been respectable. They'd never broke through and really gotten uh, into the Final Four or anything like that. So that was, that was big news. And then North Carolina, um, they've been dealing with a whole lot of NCAA investigations and, and under a kind of a cloud for the past few years. And they couldn't quite uh, make the championship last year. So it was, it was some interesting storylines in there. Uh, North Carolina, of course, ended up winning the tournament. But in the, the days leading up uh, to the tournament, there was a, an interesting little story I read about uh, Roy Williams, coach of the uh, North Carolina basketball team. In practice, uh, just before one of the games, a couple of days before, he became so angry at one of the players that in his rage, he kicked the basketball as hard as he could. And it hit the chair, and it deflected off of that chair, and it came back and smacked him right in the face so hard that it knocked him off his feet, and it left a, a mark on his face. And so when he got to the final four, there he was with a bruised lip that came from his anger. Now, how many times in our life has our anger or our bitterness or our unforgiveness where we thought we were taking it out on someone else and yet it has bounced back on us in ways that we could not predict or imagine and it has come back to harm us? That's what unforgiveness does. The message this morning, the foolishness or the folly of unforgiveness, is not a message about what you should do and you ought to do and this is the right or the good thing to do, although it is all those things. This message is about you're stupid if you don't forgive. It's the smart thing to do to forgive. Because we'll talk about what unforgiveness does to you in your life. So often we think 
that we are holding back and we are harming someone else and, and we can't let go, we can't forgive. But it's been said that forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to find that that prisoner was you. Unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts takes a toll on us. It, it does so many negative things, and I want us to think a few, about a few of those things. In this story that Jesus told, like I said, Peter asked him this question, should I forgive seven times, Lord? <laughs> like, I'm, seven's a big number. It's a number of completion. The, the Lord created the earth in seven days. So if I forgive seven times, I'm really doing good. That's what he thought. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And, and by the way, if you're really li literal, he doesn't mean to chalk up 490 times. And then, whoop, 491, I'm done with you. That's the end. Jesus says, no, there's not a limit. And he tells this story about a king who throws someone into to debt, into prison because of this debt, millions of dollars. And then he does not have compassion himself. What does unforgiveness do to us? How does it affect us? Number one, it disregards our own sin in our life. Unforgiveness makes you arrogant. Because if you uh, cannot forgive other people, it is a sign that you've not reflected and you've not realized and thought about your own sin and what you have done to God and to others. So if you're unforgiveness, if you're bearing a grudge... You have become arrogant and proud, and you've said, hey, I, I'm, I'm, they've really hurt me. I'm not forgiving them. But you have purposefully ignored or looked over uh, what you've done. Now, we don't like when other people do that. You, you, you've dealt with the kind of people, right, that, that they do something. They say something or they do something to you. And then the next time you see them, they're like, oh, how are you doing, buddy? It's good to see you. And you're like, Really? Really, after the way that you talked to me last time or, or what you did to me, and you're going to pretend that that didn't happen? Well, see, that's how you become. When you become unforgiving, you become that guy, you become that gal who just almost has amnesia about your own fault. You just act like nothing ever happened. Yeah, somebody did something to you, and you're going to make them pay. But you haven't thought about what you've done, how big your sin. And you say, well, I never hurt them the way they hurt me. Yeah, but who else did you hurt? And the story is, most of all, regardless of what other human being you've hurt, you've hurt the king. You've hurt the Lord and your own sin against him, your own rebellion against God. Unforgiveness disregards our own sin. It also distorts your view of others. You see, when I don't forgive someone, either I have to, A, pretend that I'm perfect and I've got it all together and, and, and I really don't have anything to be forgiven of, or you have to say, well, yeah, I have messed up. And God has, uh, sure, he had to forgive me, but we retell this story. We turn it the other way around. We say, you know, God forgave me a few thousand but this guy, he owes me millions. I mean, he's done to me more than anybody could possibly do to, to anybody else. He's devastated me. She's devastated me. What she did, I can't imagine forgiving because it's so big. 
And we place that debt as the millions upon millions or billions upon billions debt that they could never repay. And we say, well, our sin, it's that little. Yeah, we've, we've done bad, but it's only a few thousand. It's not that big or that bad a deal. And we have to make out that person in our minds as someone who's so terrible that they're kind of the exception. You know, yes, God said we should forgive. And so that guy that cut me off in traffic, I'm going to forgive him. And that woman who who made a snide remark about what I was wearing, I can forgive her. But no, not what they did, because that was just so much. It's unforgivable. And we have to make that person some villain who is so vile that they're nothing like us. Sure, we're not perfect, we say, because we're too humble to say that we're perfect. We wouldn't be that prideful, but we're not that bad. And so we lie about ourselves and our own sin, and we make them out to be so much worse. We make them to be the villain of all villains. Third, unforgiveness devastates innocent people. We tend to think that the problems that we have are merely between us and that person or that group of people that hurt us. And we say, you know, uh, I'm not forgiving them, but everybody else I love, everybody else I'm nice and friendly and kind to. And we think that we can compartmentalize our anger. We think that we can bottle it up and, and, and that we store it just like, you know, old nuclear waste, that it's stored in concrete and steel and under the ground, and, and it won't ever get out. That's what we think. But there's always this seepage. There's a leakage of unforgiveness. And it goes out perhaps slowly over time, and it begins to pollute and distort our lives and every relationship around us. You see, you cannot hold on to this acid that is, that is called bitterness or unforgiveness and it not destroy you. It leaks out. It gets into other relationships and you say, I love them and I would never let that happen. But God didn't design us that way, to be compartmentalized. He designed us to be whole. He designed us to have integrity. We're either forgiving people or if we're not. And if we decide, I'm not going to forgive, I'm going to be bitter against this one, it begins to hurt all those around us. The Bible tells in this story, Jesus taught about this, this king and this servant. And, and we think, oh, well, here's this servant and this servant and the king and there's no one else. But there is someone else. The Bible says there's all these other servants. And they see what's going on. And it totally distresses them. It totally devastates them to see what one is doing to another. This guy thinks, well, I'm just taking care of business with him. It doesn't affect anybody else. But all those around these two are affected by the unforgiveness. No man's an island, right? We've all heard that. And that's true in so many ways. And with unforgiveness, it's especially true. It damages, it devastates innocent people. So unforgiveness disregards your own sin. It distorts your view of others. It devastates innocent people. And it disrespects your king. Can you imagine 
when the servants come to this king and the king has been merciful and loving and kind and let go of this debt of millions upon millions and he hears this same one who's got his hands around the neck of this other servant who only owes thousands and needs just a little more time and says, no, you pay up now. How does that affect the heart of the king? How does that affect the heart of our father who has forgiven us so greatly? You see, it's like we take what God has given to us and the way he's forgiven us so greatly, and we're like, oh, well, thank you, God, I was entitled to that, because, you know, I'm such a good person anyway, thanks a bunch, I appreciate it, but now let me take unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, grudge holding out on others. We completely disrespect the forgiveness that God has given to us when we turn around and hold grudges against others. Fifth and finally, the folly of unforgiveness is that it destroys your own personal happiness. Most of us would never willingly set out to say, you know what? I am making a commitment right now that I'm going to do something. I'm going to hold on to something that will destroy my happiness. This is my goal in life. I want to be unhappy. I want to be critical. I want to be just weighed down by this thing where I'm going to play God and put someone else in their place and I'm going to take vengeance or I'm never going to let go. We wouldn't just consciously say, let me destroy my own happiness. But that's in effect what we're doing. God is saying here, Jesus is saying here, that's not a threat, that's a promise. He said, this same thing is what my heavenly Father will do to any of you who do not forgive. Now, let's get clear of the picture here. The picture is the guy that he threw in the prison, the one who owed a few thousand, He's still sitting there in jail. And now the king in the rage says, now you're going to jail and you're going to be tortured. You're going to be miserable in jail as long as you continue to not forgive this guy over here. Now here's the deal. You and I have a choice to make. We can say, you know what, it's worth it. Because he's still in jail. And I'm going to make sure that he's still in jail. He's going to pay. We can make that choice. But at the same time, we're in jail. We're shackled. And we're being tortured. As long as we're holding them in jail. As long as we refuse to forgive, we have sentenced ourselves to a worse prison. Where God has said... Your life is going to be torturous. Your life is going to be miserable. As long as you keep holding that person in chains, I'll hold you in chains. As long as you refuse to forgive, I'll just treat you the same way. 
Because you're demonstrating, here's how I think people ought to be treated. All right, I'll hold you to that standard. You'll be treated that way with a little extra on top. It's foolish. It's ridiculous to not forgive. Oh, I know. I know. You say, I can't forget. There's some things in life that we're not going to forget. And I know that what they did was so bad to you, and that's true. We've all had really bad, and some of you have had really, really bad things done to you in life. But even if, if you say, I don't want to forgive them, they don't deserve forgiveness, I still don't like them, God says the smart thing, if you want to move on life, it, you need to forgive. You have a choice. You can stay shackled. You can stay in that same prison with even worse treatment than they're in. Or you can forgive and you can be set free. In a book uh, called Lee's Later Years, one of the historians of Robert E. Lee tells a story about after the Civil War, one of these uh, grand old ladies of Kentucky brought him to her, her uh, mansion there. Now they're out on that porch. She shows him this ruined tree. And she tells him about how the, the northern artillery had destroyed this once beautiful oak tree that was there in front of her house. And, and the limbs were all stripped up and the, the trunk was damaged. And, and she just went on and on. And, and then she finally paused, waiting for him to say something, waiting for him to, to, to condemn the north in some way or at least, you know, sympathize with her. And General Lee simply paused and said, cut it down, my dear madam, and let it go. Cut it down. A lot of us, like this lady, we've been, built monuments in our lives to the woundedness that we've received. Oh yeah, we say we've moved on, we say that, that we're not held back by that, but yet, it's sitting here right in our front yard, day by day, we keep staring at this same thing. And we keep our focus not on the house that we have that was saved, that was not destroyed by the northern artillery. We're not counting our blessings. We're not thinking about all the good things we have to live in life. We're just looking at this one part of our life that was damaged and wrecked. And we keep our focus there. And so we're stuck in the past. And this week... As we look at what Jesus did for us all week long, we're focused. This is Holy Week. We think about what Jesus did for us on the cross and the forgiveness that he offers us. If you and I don't want to be hypocrites, if we truly want to celebrate the forgiveness that we've received, then we'll forgive as he forgave. Cut down that tree let go of that debt, whatever it is, whatever analogy you want to use. But you forgive, and you'll find the prisoner you've set free is yourself. Bow with me, please. Father God, we live in a world that has been wrecked by sin. 
And we ourselves sin. We harm ourselves and we harm others. And we're most highly sensitive to others who harm us. And we forget about how badly we've harmed you. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to take the forgiveness, the mercy that we've been given, and to really honor you, to show you, Father, our thankfulness and gratefulness in the greatest possible way by taking that forgiveness and extending it to others. God, I pray that not a single person man, woman, boy, or girl in this place would be held down by the shackles of unforgiveness any longer. But they would let go so that they themselves can be released. Be with us now, Father, as we come into this time of response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitation is a time to respond.